Thank you. It's a delight for me to be here uh, to see many familiar faces, mostly from Northwest, that got stolen away to Dallas Bible Church. Um, Kat and Aaron were students of mine, so it is a particular privilege for me to be here this morning. I'd like to thank the elders and Aaron for the opportunity to minister God's word to you all here. There should have been a handout as you walked in, if you make sure you have one of those. That'll have all the verses that I'll be dealing with this morning. And as you pull that out, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Our Father, for your amazing and reckless love, we give thanks. That sought me and bought me with Christ's redeeming blood. privilege to worship you as a corporate body. We give thanks as we come before you. And now as we look into your word, we ask for your Holy Spirit's strengthening of our hearts, the engracing of our minds, that we might learn, we might understand, and we might obey. We ask these things in Jesus' name. People will go to amazing lengths to find blessedness and happiness. Several years ago, undercover agents for the Arizona Department of Fish and Game arrested several people for, forget this now, for toad licking. Toad licking. These felons had in their possession the Colorado River toad, also known as Bufo alvarius. This toad, which is found in the Arizona desert, deters its predators by secreting a milky white substance on its skin that includes a powerful drug classified as psychoactive under Arizona law. It's poisonous, it's dangerous. But drug aficionados get their highs by licking the toad directly. Toad licking. There it is. The secret of happiness. Go lick a toad. <laughs> People will do anything to find happiness and blessedness. But really, does licking toads and frogs provide the happiness we look for? What then will? How do we find this happiness and blessedness that all of us are searching for? Isn't that our heart's deepest longing? The pursuit of happiness enshrined in our constitution. How do we achieve it? Will it be by accumulating titles and power and money, a better car, a better home, athletic prowess? Beauty, good education, perfect health, perfect mate, perfect kids, great job, the high status, the glorious reputation. What will give us that happiness we truly seek? This morning from the story of the patriarch Jacob, that stretches from Genesis 25 to almost Genesis 35, we're going to see how we can accomplish, achieve, arrive at that blessedness that we are searching for. So let's start at Genesis 25, verse 21. The story of Jacob begins even before he was born. 
Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, Jacob, because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Nothing really new here in the Bible. Barrenness we have already seen in the past with Sarah, Abraham's wife, Isaac's mother, before Isaac was born. God answering prayer, we have seen that in the past few chapters of Genesis as well. So God has done that before. Verse 22, but the children. Huh? That's new. Children, did you catch that? It's in the plural. That's never happened so far in Genesis. Never in the Bible until this point had there been more than one child in the same womb at the same time. Twins. The first instance in biblical history. So what's the problem? The problem is simply this. Who is going to be the firstborn? Because you see, the firstborn gets the patriarchal blessings given by God to Abraham, to Isaac, and now to whom? Who's going to get it? Well, the children seem to have been very aware of that problem, 22. But the children struggled together within her. They were fighting, not just fighting. The Hebrew word connotes a violent, smashing, crashing battle. This was no brotherly tussle. This was a serious street fight, brass knuckles, knives. <laughs> they had already begun fighting for the blessing. Anyhow, as you know, the older one, Esau, he is called, was born first in verse 26. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. The younger guy comes out fighting, chasing his older brother Esau, fighting to be the first one, chasing after the all-important blessing of the firstborn. This second kid's not yet been named, and he's fighting, and so they find the perfect name for him. Verse 26. So his name was called Jacob, Yaakov, which means heel grabber. What a great name to go through life with. From the outset, he is a heel grabber, fighting, running, chasing. Even before he was born, he's chasing, chasing in the womb, chasing coming out of the womb, and for the next 10 plus chapters in Genesis, chasing outside the womb. A lifetime of chasing. Chasing for blessing. Chasing for recognition. Chasing for significance. Life was a long chase for Yaakov, the heel grabber. So I'm calling this section number one, chasing the chaser. Fast forward now about 20 years. Father Isaac is getting old and he's blind now. And it's time for the blessing of the father to his firstborn. Mama Rebecca, Isaac's wife, wants this blessing to go to her favorite boy, the younger one, Jacob. So mother and younger son hatch a plot to trick dad into blessing the younger boy, Jacob. They grill the steak just like Daddy Isaac likes it and gets Jacob to take it to him. Genesis 27, 18 and 19. Then he, Jacob, came to his father Isaac and said, My father. And he, Isaac, said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? He's blind, remember? Jacob said to his father, I am 
Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please sit and eat of my game so that you may bless me. The liar, brazen-faced liar. He's chasing. He's heel-grabbing again. Will he never stop? Always grasping, always fighting, always running, always chasing. Verse 23, he blind Isaac did not recognize him, Jacob, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Dad blesses the younger son. The heel grabber gets the blessing. Deceit accomplished. And later when the truth is found out, Isaac sadly tells his older boy Esau, verse 35, and he said, your brother deceitfully came and has taken away your blessing. I want you to remember the word deceitfully. Underline it, circle it, something, will you? Bear it in mind. We'll encounter that word again. Deceiving, cheating, manipulating, chasing and chasing and chasing. What are we chasing? What are we fighting for? What are we running after? Chasing romance? 17 billion dollars, B with billion with a B, was what Americans spent on Valentine's Day this year. Chasing money? Maybe that's why there's 350 billion dollars of unpaid taxes owed to Uncle Sam. Chasing pleasure? $10 billion a year is what the pornography industry rakes in. Or maybe it's chemically induced happiness that we seek. $13 billion a year spent on antidepressants, excluding alcohol. Seeking blessedness. Seeking happiness. We're chasing all day long, all year long, all Life long. But chasing always has its consequences. Always. Let me show it to you from Jacob's story. The heel grabber has gotten the blessing that he wanted. Cheating his older brother. And we think, great, he's going to be blessed and have God's favor upon him and all that jazz. He's going to be rich, have a lot of wives, tons of kids, his own Baseball team, camels, Ferraris, donkeys. Going to live happily ever after. And he's going to die with the most toys. He wins. That's the MO of the world around us. Do whatever it takes to be numero uno. Whatever it takes up to go up that ladder. Fight, grab, connive, manipulate, cheat, steal, heel grab, backstab. Chasing and chasing and chasing. But there will be consequences. Verse 41, Genesis 27. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob. And he said, the days of mourning for my father are near. That means my father is going to die pretty soon. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. I'm going to kill that kid brother. I'm going to finish him off. 
just wait. You think heel grabbing works? You think backstabbing is successful? You think chasing yields results? That's the best way to ruin relationships. That's the best way to have ourselves hounded to death. That's the best way to obtain unhappiness and pain. Try chasing. Then we'll discover the consequences soon enough. So Mama Rebecca gets wind of Esau's plot to kill her younger son, his kid brother. So she goes to Jacob, 43 through 45. Now therefore, my son, she tells Jacob, obey my voice, arise, flee to Haran, to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subside, then I'll send and get you from there. Did you catch that? A few days? A few days. Yeah, right. It took 20-something years before he came back. He never came back for two decades. And guess what? Mama Rebecca never saw her favorite boy again. Never. She would die before he returned. Heel grabbing and backstabbing are never successful. In the end, we pay horribly. Chasing leads to crashing. So there it is, number two, the crashing. According to the Chicago Tribune that, was, that came out a few years ago, a 38-year-old man was walking to his temporary job at a warehouse in Rosemont, Illinois, attempting to get there by cutting across on foot the eight lanes of the tri-state tollway. After he crossed the first four lanes of the northbound direction, the wind blew off his cap. Cap flew back over the northbound lanes, and he chased it. That's when a semi <laughs> lost everything. Chasing what? And you know what? We will lose it as well. Chasing leads to crashing. Let me prove it again to you from Jacob's story. So the heel grabber now flees his hometown, flees to his uncle's place, works there many years to win the hand of Rachel, the younger of his uncle's two daughters with whom he had fallen in love. Wedding night comes, and as you are well aware, the sly, cunning uncle substitutes the older daughter, Leah, for the younger one, Rachel. 29 verses 23 and 25. 29, 23, and 25. Now in the evening, he, that's Laban, took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob went into her. So it came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he, Jacob, said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? Remember that word? The last time it was used in the Bible was when Isaac and Esau were deceived 
by Jacob. Genesis 27, 35, where Isaac tells Esau, your brother came deceitful. That was the last time the word was used, and now here it is again. It's payback time. Earlier, Jacob had cheated his dad by substituting the younger for the older. And look what's happened here. Jacob gets cheated when the older is substituted for the younger. The deceiver has now become the deceived and deceived in the same coin. You chase, you crash. Oh, and get this. How was Jacob tricked? Verse 23. Now in the evening, and verse 25, so it came about in the morning. Behold, it was Leah. Evening, morning. The narrator seems to be making a point of this. And the point is this. The dude was cheated at night when he couldn't see who the woman was. Guess who had been tricked a few years ago because he couldn't see blind old Isaac. In other words, the chickens have now come home to roost. You sow, you reap, you chase. If we think heel grabbing works, if we think backstabbing is successful, if we think we can contrive our own blessedness and happiness by our own, our own devices, we have another tink coming. Trying to bless oneself does not work. Not at all. You chase, you crash. Whatever it is you are chasing, prepare. Radio personality Paul Harvey tells the story of how an Eskimo kills a wolf. Let me warn you that the story is graphic, grisly, and gruesome. I can tell all of you are interested now. First, the Eskimo coats his knife with blood and allows it to freeze. Then he adds another layer of blood and another until the blade is completely concealed by frozen blood. The hunter then fixes his knife in the ground with the blade up. When a wolf follows its sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the bait, he licks it, tasting the fresh frozen blood. It begins to lick faster and more vigorously, lapping the blade until the keen edge is now bare. Feverishly now, harder and harder, the wolf licks the blade in the Arctic night, not knowing that at some point it's its own blood that it is tasting. The razor-sharp edge of the knife on its tongue it does not recognize the instant at which its insatiable thirst is being satisfied by its own warm blood and its carnivorous appetite just craves more until dawn finds it dead in the snow, consumed by its lust. We chase, we crash. We'll never find perfect happiness, perfect fulfillment, perfect satisfaction because we're chasing it in the wrong place and in the wrong way. So what is the right place?
And what is the right way? What must we do? Back to Jacob. After years of struggle, he is now finally on his way home, going to reconcile with his brother Esau. But as he nears home, he sees Esau approaching with 400 men. And the last time he had heard from Esau was Esau's promise to kill him. So Jacob is now quaking in his sandals. What will Esau do to me? That's where we catch up with the story. It's nighttime. Things are looking bleak. It's hopeless. Esau is well armed. This will be an annihilation. Despair. Death looms on the horizon. And you know what? That's usually when God gets our attention, as he does in this case. Genesis 32, 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. 32, 24. A few verses after that, in verse 30, we find out that this man was actually God himself. 32, 34. He said, I have seen God face to face. But what I want you to pay attention to is what Jacob tells God. Verse 26 of Genesis 32. He, that's Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I won't let you go unless you bless me. Take note of that. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Finally, finally the heel grabber had come to the realization of who really could bless him. Finally, he realizes the folly of his deceiving and his defrauding and his duping. The folly of chasing and chasing and chasing and crashing and crashing and crashing. Now he realizes only one person can bless him and that is God. And God is enough. More than enough. The only source of blessing. And Jacob finally discovers that truth. From chasing, he went to crashing. And now in verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. From chasing to crashing to clinging. And that's number three, to cling. Have we come to that realization? Have you come to the end of your tether? Have we reached the point of realizing that only God, only God can bless us? Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will fulfill. Nothing else will delight. God alone will. God is enough. Are we ready to give up our chasing, our running, instead cling to God alone? Only God. God alone can bless us. We must cling to him like Jacob did. Verse 26 again, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And verse 29, then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he, that's God, said, why do you ask me my name? Don't you know me? I'm the one you were chasing all along, even though you didn't know it. Even as you ran helter-skelter for blessing, you were chasing me. It was me you really wanted in the core of your being, in the depth of your longing. And then, 
And then finally, after years and years of striving and struggling, after decades of chasing and crashing, now the clinging Jacob finds blessing at its true source, its only source, verse 29, and he, God, blessed him, Jacob, there. For the first time in the story of Jacob, we are finally told that God blessed Jacob. And that's not all in verse 28. God continues, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. No more the grabber of heels, the snatcher of dreams, the chaser of wind, the, the clutcher of straws. No more Yaakov, no more chasing. Henceforth, Israel, which means God God fights. No more will you grab heels. No more will you need to grab heels because God fights for you. I'm going to be your fighter, God says. You don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to chase anything more, anymore. You don't have to run after anything anymore. I'm going to fight for you, Israel. God fights for you. Verse 25, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. To underscore the fact that Jacob would never have to fight anymore, God makes sure that Jacob will never fight anymore. No more fighting, no more wrestling, no more grabbing, no more grappling. God just goes zap. Israel, I'm going to fight for you. You, from this time forth, will do this across the stage. Of life. You will no longer fight. You will no longer chase anything. I'll make sure of that. You don't have to. Because Israel, I fight for you. And you will remember forever that I'm going to fight for you. Not only you, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, the entire nation of Israel will remember that forever. I am going to fight for you. Verse 32, therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not touch and not eat the sinew of the hip which is on the socket of the thigh because he, God, touched the socket of Jacob's thigh. And notice how the scene closes in verse 31. Now the sun rose and he was limping. It's no longer night. It started in darkness. It ends in daylight. The sun had risen. The prodigal had come home. The heel grabber was no more. The chaser had quit. No more a heel grabber forevermore. He would be a God grabber. No more chasing and crashing. From now on he will be doing clinging. What can we do? How can we cling on to God? I don't know what you might be chasing. Beauty, money, prestige, a mate. I don't know. I know what I am chasing. And I know this. God asks us to give up our chases and be dependent on him. Because only he can bless. Only he can satisfy. Only he can fulfill. God is enough. So let's give up our chases, our fights, our struggles. Because chasing 
only ends in clashing. And ultimately, all of that is unfulfilling and unsatisfying. Only God is enough and more than enough. So in response, I'd like to get us to do something strange. Yes, strange. I'm going to hijack an ancient church custom that's been misused over centuries. And I'd like to rehabilitate that custom back to its original focus. The custom is a sign of the cross. A practice that rose in the early church and had the core meaning to serve as a reminder that God, so three fingers, came down from heaven, vertical motion, to move me from the kingdom of darkness on the left to the kingdom of light on the right. I want us to make the sign of the cross a daily habit. But I want us to do it this way. Saying out aloud, God fights for me. Do it every morning as you lie in the bed. God fights for me. Simply serves as a tangible jog to our memories to remember that God fights for me. He loved me. He gave himself for me. God fights for me. His love sustains me. His grace is sufficient for me. His presence surrounds me. God fights for me. And just as the Israelites have a custom to remember that God fights for them, we too should make the sign of the cross to remember that God fights for us. No more chasing. No more crashing. We are going to do some clinging. The Barcelona Olympics of 1992 provided one of track and field's most moving moments. Britain's Derek Redmond had dreamed all of his life of winning the gold medal in the 400 meter race and his dream was in sight as the gun sounded at the semifinals at Barcelona. He was running the race of his life and could see the finish line in the distance as he rounded the turn into the backstretch. Suddenly, he felt a sharp pain go up his leg. He fell face down on the track with a torn right ha hamstring. And as the medical attendants were approaching, Derek fought to his feet. He would say later that it was animal instinct to get up and run. And he set out, hopping in a crazed attempt to finish the race. When he reached the stretch, out of nowhere, a large, burly man in a t-shirt came running down out of the stands, hurled aside a couple of security guards, ran onto the track to Derek and embraced him. It was Jim Redmond, Derek's father. You don't have to do this, he told his weeping son. Yes, I do, insisted Derek. Well then, said Jim, we're going to finish this together. together. And they did. Fighting off security men, the son's head buried in his father's shoulder, they stayed in Derek's lane as they hobbled together all the way to the end. The crowd gaped then rose and applauded and then wept.
Derek didn't walk away with the gold that year. But he left with the incredible memory of a father who, when he saw his son in pain, left his comfortable seat in the stands to help him win the race. That's our God. The one who sent his son to earth to die for us. You cling to him. He'll fight for you. He'll see you through. He'll bless you. And only God, only God can do this. Can't find it anywhere else. Nowhere else from nobody else. Cling to God alone because God is more than enough. He fights for you. Let's pray.